Well, good morning. I like rhubarb. My family likes rhubarb. We've tried growing rhubarb, but it hasn't been working out. Uh, it might be the, the bugs, it might be too much water, not enough water, but ultimately I think what it boils down to is the soil. Uh, maybe a little bit too much clay, maybe not right of nitrogen or nutrients or whatever, but it just isn't working out. The right soil makes a difference when you're trying to grow something. I grew up by Clyde, Kansas, a couple of miles north of the Republican River. And uh, close to the Republican River, the closer you get, there's a, there's a wonderful mixture of, of sand and fertile soil, which is great for growing watermelons. And so that's why every year on Labor Day weekend, Clyde has the, the Watermelon Festival to kind of celebrate. Remember all the decades ago, all the huge watermelon fields that were grown there now because wheat and corn is more profitable. They don't grow watermelons there anymore. But the right soil is important if you want to grow a certain crop, whether it's rhubarb or watermelons or wheat or corn or whatever, the right soil is important. So it is spiritually. You know, as we come to the beginning of the year, uh, I often try to step back and say, okay, how am I doing spiritually? Uh, where do I want to grow in the coming year? Because there's always something that I need to, to improve on. I, maybe you've got it all figured out, but I don't. So it might be, okay, I want to grow in my self-control or discipline, uh, it might be that, hey, I want to grow, grow in my patience or, 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 or whatever it might be. There's certain areas that I always want to think through. Okay, am I spending enough? How's my prayer life? How's my time in, in God's Word? I hope you have a similar goal. I mean, we're called to grow in our faith. We're called not just to believe in Jesus, but we're called to follow Him, which means progression on a journey. We're going farther and further, becoming more like like him. I hope that's a goal you have to grow spiritually. But how does that happen? What should we do if we want to grow spiritually? What is truly essential? And without it, we will not grow. This morning, we're beginning a sermon series entitled Cultivating Your Faith. And growing up in this area, we're all familiar, we're living in this area, we're all familiar with cultivation. If you have a garden, you cultivate. You use a hoe, you get rid of weeds, you turn the soil, you cover exposed roots. You cultivate if you want it to grow. If you're a farmer, use a tiller in the field with your row crops to do the same. Without cultivation, what happens? Weeds take over. The ground can become packed and hard and plants become stunted and unproductive. If you want to grow a good crop, you cultivate. Now, I know there's no-till farming, but the point is you've got to pay attention to what you want to grow if it's going to grow. Now, Jesus grew up in, a, in an agricultural society. That's why much of his teaching includes all these sorts of references that we would understand. Seeds and sowers and mustard seeds and wheat and weeds and fig trees and sheep and goats, farmers, barns, harvest. He knew about planting a crop and tending it. And in our passage, Jesus uses an agricultural a farming parable, a metaphor, to drive home a point that is essential if we want to grow spiritually. If we want to move beyond just believing in Jesus to actually following him. Let's pick it up in chapter 8 of Luke, beginning at verse 1. We'll work our way through this passage. It'll be on the screen. You can follow in your Bibles or on your phone apps. I encourage you to do that. After this, Jesus traveled about from town, one town and a village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So let's stop real quick. After, what's, what's this coming after? Right before this in chapter 7, 
Jesus is in a gathering uh, with a bunch of religious leaders, and it says a woman with a bad reputation approaches him and anoints him. And this sparks a reaction in the religious leaders. They get upset, and Jesus talks about grace and forgiveness. In fact, he goes so far as to proclaim the woman's sins forgiven, which really ticks off and upsets the religious leaders because they rightly understand that only God can forgive sins. And so they're upset, and they reject what Jesus has to say. So keep that in mind. Then it says, The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. And these women were helping to support them out of their own means, which is really cool when you think about some wealthy women converts to faith in Jesus who are supporting the disciples in Jesus as they're traveling around. And then it says, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell on rock. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. So we were right. Soil is important in determining the quality and the quantity of the crop. Here, rock and lack of moisture leads to withered plants, uncultivated soil full of weeds and thorns, strangles the life out of what you're trying and hoping to grow. And then Jesus says this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The whole crowd has ears. They're there to listen specifically to Jesus. So what is he, what's he saying here? The disciples wonder, and so they ask this question in verse 9. Sort of like when you're in a classroom or at work, somebody says something you don't follow. You're like, um, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm a little dense, but I, I'm missing it. Can you explain that? Can you connect the dots for me? His disciples asked him what the parable meant. And Jesus responds with a cryptic saying and then a detailed explanation. First, the cryptic saying. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. It's helpful for us to understand that what Jesus is doing here, he's quoting from Isaiah 6, verse 9. Just after Isaiah, the prophet, gets this glimpse, this vision of, of God and his, his dazzling holiness and his, his moral perfection and beauty, and he, he becomes keenly and painfully aware of his own sinfulness and, and lack of moral perfection and holiness. And after God takes away his guilt, Isaiah responds to God's call with a willingness to go on God's behalf. And God gives him a specific message. God says, go and tell this people be ever hearing, but never understanding. This is what Jesus is quoting. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And he says, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Now, wait a second. Jesus is quoting this passage from from Isaiah 6. Is he, through the use of parables, intentionally keeping people from responding to him? Is that what's going on here? If so, is that fair and is that right? It makes me think of when Moses goes to Pharaoh in Egypt. The Egyptians have enslaved the Israelites and, and Moses goes to Pharaoh over and over. He says, let my people go. And and Pharaoh increasingly says, no, 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 he's stubborn. He will not respond to the message he gets from God through Moses. 
And then it says that Pharaoh ends up being judged by God because of his lack of response. Does that, does that cause you to, okay, what's going on here? Does that maybe scratch your head or bother you a little bit? Let's keep reading. Verse 11, where Jesus begins his explanation of his parable. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God, and those who along the path, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. And then he says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but they go on their way and are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil, we think, I, I want to be the good soil, stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce the crop. Seems pretty straightforward. The soil determines the quality and quantity of the crop. It's important, like in agricultural but also like in faith. So those who receive God's word and not only just hear it, but apply it will grow spiritually. Those who hear it, but don't apply it will not grow. This was this whole hardening things comes into play. It might, it might be helpful to think about it a couple different ways. You know, when the, it's, it's about the condition of the soil of the heart. If a, if a person's heart is, is made of clay, what happens when, when sun and heat comes upon clay, it hardens, it becomes like a brick. It's, it's, it's not responsive to anything. If a heart is made of, say, chocolate, when the heat and, 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 and the light comes upon it, what happens? It softens. It, it melts. It becomes pliable and, and, and flexible and, and responsive. Those who do not receive God's word, who hear it but do not apply it, will lose the ability to hear it and to understand it. Their hearts become hard, not because God is unfair, because of the condition of their heart, because of their own choices, their own lack of response to God's word, his message. Like the seed on the rock with no roots and no moisture. Or like the seed on the path, they become vulnerable to Satan's attacks and tactics and strategies. Or like the seed among the thorns and weeds, they become stunted, stagnant, not mature. Going back to our garden, this year we usually have great tomatoes. We love fresh tomatoes. Homemade salsa, BLTs. This year, tomatoes did not amount to much at all. The only reason we were able to have BLTs and fresh salsa is because of our parents' garden. For whatever reason, our garden did not produce well this year. We planted them. We expected these bright, red, juicy, delicious, fleshy tomatoes. And instead, we ended up with these tiny green ones. They never really matured, but Nancy made the best of it, made some green tomato salsa, which is good. But that's not the point, okay? It's a problem for our garden when we plant something and it does not produce what we hope. And it's a problem when we, who claim the name of Jesus, don't grow and don't produce fruit. It's unhealthy. It's not what God desires. And it's the result of hearing but not applying God's word. And in the end, if that pattern continues, hearing but not applying, and we all do this to a certain degree, don't we? We're honest with ourselves. I always think of the prayer in, in a, of, of David in Psalm 139, search me and know me if there's any wicked way within me. He knew that there was stuff in his life that needed to be dealt with, where he, was, he heard God's word, he knew it, but he wasn't applying it. We all have some of those issues. 
If that pattern continues, then we will reach a place where we no longer have any desire to truly hear God's word. What's left over then? A vestige, a shadow, a hollow veneer of faith, where we will cling to a few selected parts of Scripture which make us feel good, or, or maybe in our minds sanction or validate something we're doing in our life, while ignoring whole swaths and sections of God's truth. Perhaps it even leads to a total disconnection to God and to his people, to his truth. What do you need to do to grow spiritually? You put God's word into practice. Without it, you will not grow. What is required if you want to be effective in your faith? You hear, you respond, you apply God's truth. Jesus then drives us home with an illustration, the next illustration, verse 16. He says, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, what does he do? He puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, he says, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. We all have lamps in our homes. Nancy, my wife, has this kind of cool lamp that sits on her, her nightstand next to the bed. She placed it there. She plugged it into the wall. So why? So we can see when it's dark. To illuminate the room. To orient us. In the midst of the darkness. So we don't bump into something and hurt our sins. Or maybe bump into each other and hurt each other. What does it say in Psalm 119 about God's Word? It's a light for my path. And so what Jesus is saying, when we hear God's Word and we do not apply, it's like taking a lamp in your bedroom, unplugging it from the wall, placing it under the bed, or putting it in the closet. You do that, what's going to happen? You're going to stumble around in the dark. You're going to lose your way. You'll be hurting yourself. People around you, too. So it is with us, Jesus says, if you hear God's word and don't apply it. And Jesus warns us, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will what? Be given more. Whoever hears and applies God's truth, he means, more understanding, more insight, more growth will follow. Isn't that cool? It's sort of like a video game that has different levels. I'm a horrible video game player, by the way. My boys, it's a running joke. They used to ask me to play with them. They don't do that anymore. I mean, I'm really, really bad. I kind of missed that whole thing when I was growing up. But in most video games, what are there? There are levels, right? You advance to the next level when you apply the lessons of the level you're on. If you don't apply those lessons, what happens? You have to go and start over. Because your player is dead. You have to begin all over again. Hearing and applying God's word is the key that unlocks the door to spiritual growth, to take us to the next level, to fruitfulness in following Jesus Christ. It's not just about believing, it's about following. And doing this leads to more insight, more joy, more peace, more in the midst of difficult things, more purpose, more understanding, 
more hope, joy, love, grace. Therefore, Jesus says, because this is true, listen carefully to God's word. Whoever has will be given more. That's a promise. And I think that's really awesome. But Jesus warns whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Again, he wants to drive this point home. If you hear God's word and you do not apply it, if you persist in your stubbornness against God, Jesus warns you will suffer spiritual loss. What you think you have will be taken from you. That's scary. That's sobering. And Jesus loves people enough to tell them the truth. And then Jesus drives his point home with a personal object lesson. Verse 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. I mean, if, if my parents showed up, I'd like, oh, I'll go and see them. Or my wife showed up for my kids. I want to go see them. Jesus replies, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, is he being rude or is he dissing his parents and his mom and family in any way? No, he, he's, he's using the situation to make a concluding point, And it's powerful and it's unmistakable and it's necessary. He says, my spiritual family... Those who I claim as my own are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That's the point. You know, Satan wants to snatch away God's truth through temptations, through distractions, through pleasures, through wealth, as it says, the good things of life. He wants to choke it out. He wants to strangle it. And when we hear but don't obey, when we listen but don't apply, we, we we fall right into his hands. We fall right into his trap. And our hearts begin to harden and we don't mature. And if we persist stubbornly in our rebellion, we may lose the ability, or even the desire, to respond. You see, soil, soil makes a difference spiritually. And, and good soil is fertile soil that hears and applies, that listens and puts into practice. And the promise is, when we do that, we will be given more. Isn't that what you want? That's what I want in 2023. More of God, more peace, more joy, more purpose, more understanding, more connection to God, more to connection to others who love Him. A greater heart for those around me who don't. So, Listen carefully. Hear God's word, receive it, and then put it into practice. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you tell us the truth. Lord, help us to respond to your truth. Not to ignore, not to set aside, not to push back, not to be selective about it, but to hear your word and wrestle with it and put it into play, put it into practice. Lord, as we do so, Lord, give us more of you. Give us more understanding, more, more joy, more peace, more purpose, more clarity. And Lord, where in the areas of our life, reveal those things to us. Today, now, in the days to come, reveal those things to us, Lord, that we would be ruthlessly, uh, that we would be ruthless about cultivating 
our faith so that we might grow, that we might respond. In Jesus' name, amen.